In the words of suffragette Emily Pankhurst, we are here not because we are lawbreakers, we are here in our efforts to become lawmakers. And in the words of public enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth End Podcast Network, I'm Charlie Taylor, and this is what's good. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. I I, I just have two things on my mind, right? So, uh, first of all, uh, this is dropping on the 25th of March. So, with that said, happy birthday to my pops. And secondly, uh, we did not hype up Small Axe enough. I, I I've, I've been I've been watching them again. Uh, well, a couple for the first time. I didn't see uh, uh, Alex Wheel, and uh, I need. See, I still need to see Education. I'm gonna. See, I'm gonna watch that today. Um, but I was watching the others back. Um, the first three, anyway. And I, I just, I just don't know how. I just don't know how it wasn't hyped enough. Uh, I just, I feel like there was a good hype behind it. Um, I don't know if I talked about it on here, but the, uh, you know, the viewing numbers were like okay ish okay ish I don't know really what you count as okay um and I think I had a conversation about that not maybe not on here but somewhere else um but I was just thinking about it again and about how just high quality those films are and I guess this is partly because um you know these stories are based in um the perspective many perspectives of uh of a uh, black London um but I I just I just I, I don't know. I, every time I watch them, like there, there's just like a, um, it's just a it's just a a, a heat behind me. It feels it feels when I'm watching it. Like I'm 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 chuckling at certain things. I'm like feeling like a type of way looking at other things, and it's just so tastefully done. All of it, every single moment of it is just so tastefully done, and every. Every scene that needs to be weighted is weighted perfectly, and like it just stays there. And just you know, especially with um Alex Wheatle and the uh, Red, White, and Blue, um though, though some of those just have like the deepest, just like just just shots of just staying there, and just watching, you know, uh Leroy Logan, which is uh John Boyega's Boyega's character, and uh and uh, Alex Wheatle, which um. So just some of those scenes, man, just like they just stay there and they just singe into your brain, like. Um, but yeah, man, I I just I just don't really understand why. Uh, well, I know I know why. You know, for every every hype cycle just dies off these days because there's always there's always something new to watch, right? Every week, but um, yeah, man, I just don't feel like it was hyped up enough, man. Like honestly, the quality on that, the quality on those f- films are just absolutely outstanding to me. It just blows my mind every time I see it. <coughs> but anyway, that's been it's pretty much been my week on my <laughs> on my side. I can't really think of anybody anything else as it's just what I've been uh, doing, especially the past couple of nights. Uh, and that's just just all on my mind at the moment. But anyway, we have a stack show. Uh, film two film and TV, two film and TV. It's usually two life, but it's two film and TV this time. Uh, one life and one music. And uh, without further ado, let's just jump right in. Formalities before we begin, in fact. Email, Twitter, IG. 
I actually said Facebook last... I don't know if it was last week, but I said Facebook at one point and I forgot. <laughs> and I let it slide. I didn't even clock it. Fuck. I'm, just, I'm trying to get out of it still. Uh, not Facebook. Uh, IG, Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes, as well as the links to the articles I'm about to read for this episode. Be sure to give those a click and read for yourself. And when I said, let the beat drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where Uber will have to give all 70,000 of its UK drivers holiday pay, minimum wage, and pension contributions. Uh, I don't think that happened in the US, so uh, it's kind of an interesting uh, case study. Uh, an anti-mask protest goes through central London, and at the same time of that day, there was actually a, um, uh, I guess an I don't I don't really know what to what to call it, but um, just like an anti race anti racism protest, I guess. Um, that actually happened in the same at the same time, uh, a few a few roads down in in central London, and you know they were they were fully socially distanced, like all of that kind of stuff. I don't know why it's socially distant should be physically distant because they're physically distant. But anyway, um, but yeah, and then you see the anti mask protests, and they're all just packed in, like just like just walking across, like just. <laughs> just, 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 might as well just hug each other. Why not? Like, just, just do all that shit. Like, it doesn't make sense to me anymore. Uh, a 6,000 year dormant volcano in Iceland has erupted, and I dare you to say the name, because I ain't. Uh, a 6.9 magnitude earthquake hits Japan, and lastly, Hall of Fame basketball player Elgin Baylor dies aged 86. And you can also say, um, you know, one year of uh, UK lockdown, so uh, there's that too. Or one year since the first lockdown. Um, honestly, if I if I cared enough, I probably would have asked people, like, um, you know, what would you say to like it's, it's day one of lockdown. What would you say to yourself day one of lockdown? Right, well, you, you went back in time to March twenty third, I think it was, right? And it's day one of lockdown, and you're and you're and you're just speaking to that person right then. What would you say? I, the only thing I'd say to myself, right? Is um is uh nothing nothing going to change for you to be completely honest with you. You're going to be fine, and I've said that previously. Um, there will be a moment where uh you will fully break down and uh, just be ready for that. And lastly, you're going to get a banging afro, bruv. <laughs> Your hair's going to grow to to heights you you never thought you could. Um, so yeah, did you all I'd say to myself? I have really not nothing much to say apart from those those things. But anyway. Let's start with the life topic, and uh, it's all about this new bill um, that is going around uh, in, in in Parliament. It's called the Police Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill, and uh, this uh, particular article explaining is by Alan McGuinness via Sky News. What's in it and why it's caused controversy after Sarah Everard's death, as we talked about Sarah Everard and uh, the police especially uh, last week. I don't think I finished that off properly. Actually, I finished it off in a in a way that I felt content. Um, I really did a lot of cuts for that last bit. Don't know if you guys even clocked that, but it just um, yeah, it was a bit of, it was a bit of a mishmash uh, for me personally. But you know, it, it's out now, so I, can't, I ain't gonna change it. Anyway, so let's do let's do this. Um, police 
Crime Sentencing and Courts Bill. A stupidly long uh, name for a bill, but let's get into it. Uh, it's a near 300-page piece of proposed legislation covering the government's flagship crime and justice plans. Among the bill's many measures are plans to introduce tougher sentences for the worst crimes, the worst crimes, uh, while also stopping the automatic early release from prison of serious and violent sexual offenders. The death of Sarah Everard and the Metropolitan Police handling of a vigil for her has sparked a renewed focus on the bill and its contents. Critics fear it could be used to curtail the rights of people to process. Uh, while my ministers say the quote-unquote tough legislation will help people, help keep people safe and contains vile reforms, well, of course they'd say that when they're like, why would you introduce a bill and have it not protect anybody? Uh, Sky News takes a look at etc, etc, etc. Key measures, this is in bullet points. Uh, the maximum sentence for assaulting an emergency worker will be doubled to two years, while a police covenant will be enshrined to, in law uh, to protect serving and retired officers and their families. Uh, whole life orders for the premeditated murder of a child will also allow judges to give the maximum sentence uh, to 18 to 20 year olds in exceptional cases such as for acts of terrorism leading to mass loss of life. The ability to stop the automatic early release of offenders who pose a danger to the public and scrapping the automatic release halfway through a sentence of serious and violent sexual offenders. Life sentence for killer drivers. Uh, widening position of trust laws to make it illegal for sports coaches and religious leaders to engage in sexual activity with 16 and 7 year olds in their care. Increase, uh, increasing the maximum penalty for criminal damage to a memorial from 3 months to 10 years. Hold up, bruv. Hold up. i got to stop at that one. So... <laughs> I- I'm sorry, that's that's a bit sus to me. That's a bit sus to me. So, for <laughs> so 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 we could so we do all that statue shit, you know, that people were doing uh, last year, and you get ten years. Bit reactionary, don't you think? Just a bit, just a bit reactionary. But anyway, reversing bail reforms, which uh, have seen suspe- suspects uh, accused of serious and violent crimes being released without restrictions. And instead of imposing conditions, if they could pose a wait, what? Instead of po- instead imposing conditions, if they could pose a risk to the vic- to victims, witnesses, or the public. And lastly, police could be allowed to obtain such warrants to help find human remains where a prosecution is not possible, uh, such as where a suspect has died, is unfit to plead, or has already been committed in the absence of a body. Why is there reduced scrutiny of the bill? It will significantly beef up police powers to crack down on protests. Ding, 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 ding. Here we go. The meat of the story. Uh, one of the provisions of the legislation, legislation is giving police forces more powers to tackle quote-unquote non-violent protests, uh, which are significantly disruptive to the public on or on access to parliament. Well, shit, guys. I, I I need to I, I guess I need to look up what a protest is because I feel like that's the point, is it not? Is that not the point to to disrupt in some way? Oh, oh fuck! I, I don't know, guys. I, I think they I think they're just saying fuck protests overall. But yeah, maybe that's just me. Anyway, continuing on. An offence of inter- <laughs> uh, an offence of quote intentionally or recklessly causing public <laughs> nuisance. Unquote is included in the bill. Yeah, yeah. Keep keep swerving. Uh, yeah, just keep tiptoeing around that. Someone commits this offence if they cause quote serious harm to the public. Unquote, which should include quote serious annoyance, serious inconvenience, or serious loss of amenity. Unquote. 
If convicted, individuals could be hit with a fine or face a prison sentence. Okay, so we're getting fines for protesting and prison sentencing potentially for non-violent protests. So this is where we're at, guys. This is where we're at. This is it. Here we are. All the, uh, the past, everything that's happened in the past year, this is the result that came out of it. This is the result legislatively. Great. Continuing on. Officers could be also be given more powers. Oh, good. More power to the police. Oh, good. Good, because that's what we need to give more power to the police. That's exactly what we need right now. All right, continuing on. I'm going to try and stop being sarcastic, but Jesus Christ. Uh, officers could be given more powers to impose conditions on static protests, such as time and noise limits. How are you judging noise? Are they just going to get one of them decibel meters? Are you taking a piss? As well as extending those rules uh, to one person demonstrations. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Oh, that's so... Well, okay. Officers could also be given more powers for tackling unauthorized encampments, which interfere with the, the ability to use the land. Stop and search powers could also be expanded. Ooh, great. Great. Oh, there was a... You know, this reminds me of a scene. In, uh, red, white, and blue. Speaking of uh, small acts, right? There's a scene. If you guys haven't seen any of these, please go see it. I urge you to, um, especially if you're Black British. It's central watching. Um, there's a scene in uh, Black, uh, Red, White, and Blue um, where uh, Logan and his wife uh, like uh, doing a little uh, uh, mock exam for uh, his uh, potential promotion test, um, and uh, they she asks him like a question about stop and search, and he goes skip that one. It, like, just it's so small it's so minuscule but like it's so just just the term stop and search is so loaded right for for for, for black people in this country even even for that little bit that those couple of lines just really said a lot really said a lot and and in 2021 stop and search powers could also be expanded great if plans for serious violence reduction orders get the go-ahead. This would mean it would be easier for the police to carry out checks on individuals who have been convicted of carrying a knife before. Okay, right. So is it just if someone has been convicted of carrying a knife, or is it overall? Because I, I, I need some details on that front. How close is the bill beco- uh, to becoming law? On 16th of March, uh, MPs voted 359 to 263, a majority of 96, and a second reading of the uh, I'm going to call it PCSC bill because uh, police crime sentencing course bill is just long as fuck. Uh, PCSC uh, bill. Uh, it means the legislation moved on to the next stage in the parliamentary process and a step closer to becoming law. MPs will continue to consider the legislation in the coming weeks before it passes to the House of Lords. While the critics saying Labour voted against the legislation in its second reading, although they support several measures in the bill, uh, Labour argue imposed disproportionate controls on free expression and the right to protest. Oh, that's not hard to shout out, but okay. Uh, the party shadow justice secretary David Lammy uh, said the suspected murder, murder of Miss Everard had quote in, instigated a national demand for action to tackle violence against women, uh, unquote. And so it was quote no time to be rushing through poorly thought out measures to impose disproportionate controls for free expression, unquote. He said the legislation was a mess, which could lead to tougher penalties for damaging a statue than attacking a woman. There we are. There's the crux of my issue right there. Said it right there, point blank. Love it. Uh, Labour leader Sakia Starmer said, quote, it says a lot of things about statues and almost nothing about protecting women and girls in particular, dealing with violence against women and girls. Here we go. This is it. I need more of this, more of that. More of this criticism. Uh, this is a crime... Uh, 
this is a CPSNC bill. Uh, it should be a vehicle for addressing it, and there is nothing meaningful in it. As Keir added, there was a gaping hole in the legislation that said, it, quote, doesn't address the fact that sentencing for rape and stalking is too low. The party wants the government to drop the bill and work on a cross-party basis uh, to tackle violence against women. Some backbench MP, Conservative MPs have also full, uh, voiced their unease with the provisions in the bill. Uh, former Prime Minister Theresa May, great, yay, said uh, she feared the, quote, potential unintended consequences of some measures in the bill which have been drawn quite widely. Sir Graham Brady, chairman of the 1922 committee. See, if you if you have a committee that is based in a year <laughs> like 1922, like fucking hell, that just screams. Oh, uh, that, that 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 don't sound great at all. Uh, as a as a, a year for a committee, anyway. Um, do they have the mindset of 1922? I wonder. I don't know. Uh, Backbench Tories urge Home Secretary Priti Patel to quote make sure that the legislation that we're about to pass protects that right of right of peaceful protest and only stops serious disruption. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a thought, but I'll, I'll leave it to the end. Um, how long have we got here? Da, 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 da. All right, a little bit anyway. What has the government's uh, what has been the government's response? Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the bill includes new measures to toughen sentences for rapists, to stop the early release of uh, serious sexual and violent offenders, and to toughen the law on domestic violence. After being of the Criminal Justice Task Force, the government said that playing close police officers could patrol bars and nightclubs around the country as part of plans to protect women from predatory offenders, doubling the funding uh, provided to the Safer Streets Fund to 45 mil is part of a move to take, quote, immediate steps to provide further reassurance for women uh, and girls in the wake of killing Miss Everard. Uh, Mr. Johnson said the horrific case had, quote, unleashed a wave of feeling about women not feeling safe at night, says Boris Johnson. Just wanted to uh, emphasize that. Uh, we must do everything uh, to we can to ensure our streets are safe. We are bringing landmark legislation to toughen sentences and put more police on the streets because that's what we need more police on the streets. <laughs> Amanda Milling, uh, co chairwoman of the Conservative Party, said Labour's uh, move to oppose the bill was shocking, accusing the opposition of trying to block new laws to keep people safe, including many violent measures to protect women from violent uh, criminals. By voting against this bill, Labour are voting against tougher sentences. <laughs> tougher sentences for child murderers, sex offenders, killer drivers, and measures that protect the vulnerable. It's because the government is working to keep people safe by reforming our justice system to keep our community safe so that everyone can live their life free from the fear of crime. Unquote. Yes, yes. The Conservative Party is working to keep people safe in the same way that they gave their, um, you know, funders contracts for shit like PPE and stuff that actually could have helped save people's lives in the past year in the coronavirus pandemic. But no, but no. But the Conservative Party are the, are the, are the people uh, that, are, that are seeking uh, to keep people safe. Yeah, uh, th- th- this is the party we're talking about. Okay, right, okay. Anyway, that aside... Um, it reminded this reminded me the only the only part of it I had an opinion on and uh, you know I've kind of stated my opinions on most of this uh, through sarcasm, uh, but the concrete point I wanted to make uh, uh, past all that kind of stuff because I feel that oh, most of that stuff's a bit self-explanatory. Um, you know the the disruption part of it, the disruption part of protest. You know stuff like. Um, you know, uh, when I- Extinction Rebellion, uh, you know, uh, climbed on top of like tube, uh, tube trains, like and stopped commuters from going to work, like stuff like that. 
I the stuff like that I agree with, right? That that shit should not be going down. That's just if you if you're if you're uh, if you're an activism uh, organization of any front, right? Um, I I feel like your job is not to disrupt, you know, just regular people from, you know, uh, getting to their workplace, right, on the tube or whatever. My thing is, uh, you know, take it to Parliament, take it to those people, because those are the people that should be hearing these pleas, right, and hearing these calls for action. Um, so you know, uh, I think uh, there's, I think. I forgot who said this. I saw this the other day, but like, um, apparently, uh, they may not people may not be able to like uh, protest on Parliament Square, which you know a lot of protests do go down, and you know that's not that's not hindering anybody. It's in the middle of a square, right? It just so happens to be in close proximity to Parliament. Um, so that's that's where I, that's where I'm kind of drawing the line here, because uh, like if you can't protest in general, then like what the fuck are we, <laughs> like, what is this country right now, honestly, there's, there needs to be a genuine discussion on, like, what is this country if if we can't protest in that fashion, solo protesters, give it a rest, noise, come on, come on, seriously, This is this what we're doing, like, you know, and obviously, the because the bill was so widespread, you know, um, both parties, or both, you know, anybody, can focus laser focus on one thing, and, you know, they have, and while Labour's right, Conservatives in some way are also right, but they're both missing certain things for whatever reason, so it's just like, um, it's, it's the only problem with politics in this fashion, where, like, you have this large-ass bill, it's 300 pages, so you can pick five pages out of it and go, like, this, these five pages are bullshit, um, and then you can be the conservatives and go these five pages. They they don't like these five pages. Like it's just like what are we doing here? Like it's just it's just it's just that same old theatrical bullshit that they do. And I'm just uh, and I immediately get tired of it. So um, I I'm not I'm not really into this uh, whole concept um, overall. But does that mean I'm not ag- uh, I'm against uh, you know um, Plainclothes policemen um, going to nightclubs. I'm not completely against that personally. Um, you know, I've the, the, I've I've heard many a story from women. Uh, you know, just getting groped in a nightclub. Like you know, it's just a legit thing. It happens every time. Uh, for most, nearly every time a woman goes to a nightclub, like really, that's why they go in such um you know actual groups. Like you, you never you ne- I've seen men go to clubs on their own. I've never seen a woman go to a club on her own. Like that's that would never happen. That would never happen. Um, so you know stuff like that. I'm a, I'm I'm for it. But like just this protest side of it is just completely jarring to me and uh, screams pretty Patel to be completely honest. As a home secretary, just that, that, that sounds right in a fucking wheelhouse. But yeah, conservatives keeping the public safe. Oxymoron. I'll let you decide. And now we hop into our first of two <coughs> uh, film and TV uh, segments. And this is all about the film uh, Sound of Metal. Um, so, for those that don't know, um, so the film uh, featuring uh, Riz Ahmed, he's a drummer uh, of a metal band, I think, 
and uh, he basically goes deaf. Um, so, yes, yeah, about a drama that goes deaf, put simply. Um, and I haven't seen the film. I've seen clips, um, and I've read some of the script. Uh, but I found this article very interesting um, as to just how they did it, because um, the point, you know, when it comes to films like this, um, and also something like Whiplash, um, sound is obviously essential because you know it's about it's about a drummer, like you know the drum the the, the sound has to be decent, and obviously um, they have to I guess try and get to the or send to the audience like how it feels for um, Riz's character to be deaf right um so they had to obviously do something on that front um so this is via indie by chris o'folt uh it's called the visceral cinema of sound of metal uh was rooted in an immersive set so let's just jump right in what does it feel like when your relationship to the world around you unexpectedly and dramatically alters is a question uh, sound of metal director darius marder uh, had to think through every step of the process, telling the story of Ruben, Riz Ahmed, uh, a recovering addict and hardcore drummer who loses his hearing. While on the Filmmaker Toolkit podcast, Marder and Ahmed uh, discussed how to key the how the key to tuning the audience into Ruben's experience was uh, for, was for, to first create an immersive and realistic experience for the actor on set. Quote, It all boils down to the same thing, which is veracity, explained Marder. Uh, when we look upon truth and we feel truth, dot, 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 I think we recognise something fundamentally human when that happens, unquote. To prepare for the role, Ahmed learned American Sign Language, ASL, uh, and how to drum. He even wore a custom device in his ears that emitted white noise uh, so that he could experience what it would be like to not be able to even hear his own voice, quote, I remember the first time we met, uh, Darius said, uh, Darius said, I want it all to be for real, uh, recalled Ahmed, he described the set as this playground of consequences, unquote. This meant that the, this meant that, like Ruben, Ahmed's ability to communicate with the deaf community of actors in the film, second, uh, film's second act, was dictated by how well he knew ASL. According to Ahmed, learning new skills like drumming in ASL went beyond his on-screen performance, uh, beyond making his on-screen performance more realistic. It opened him up to the emotional and most almost spiritual truth of his character. Quote, There's a trope in the deaf community that hearing people are emotionally repressed because they are hiding behind words. Whereas when you express yourself in sign, you are forced to inhabit what you are saying and connect it to viscerally and physically uh, connect to it viscerally and physically in a different way, Ahmed said, uh, said Ahmed, and I found myself getting emotional dis- uh, discussing things in American Sign Language that I could very easily pass off with a string of several words uh, if I was just speaking in English, and so I felt that learning ASL really opened me up emotionally, unquote. Uh, the immersive realism also applied to the film's unique use of sound. Marder w- wanted to ground the film's subjectivity in what he called quote-unquote point of hearing, rather than point of view. Uh, the use of the camera in editing would follow the sound design's lead, a reverse of how most filmmakers think and work. It's a subtle shift that Marder believes hits the audience on an emotional level. Quote, When we hear... Uh, sound that's rooted in something real and true. We all have a collective human memory of our sounds," said Mother. We talked a lot about in this uh, talked a lot about this in really geeky ways, but a lot of the film is reminding us about our own memory of sound on a very subtle level. Unquote. According to Mother, the sound designer Nicholas Becker, 
those sound memories are held in our bodies and can be triggered by uh, by sound vibrations. Quote, a large part of the sound design of the film was built out of that inner subjective experience of Ruben's auditory world, said Ahmed, which is very authentic because sometimes when people lose their hearing, what they maintain is a vibrational hearing, an auditory experience that comes from the body and the body's internal process, unquote. How Becker accomplished this led some orthodox sound recordings on set. Quote, Nicholas would be come up to would come up to me with some kind of hexa, uh, hexagonal orb that felt like a, it had been 3D printed in a steampunk workshop and placed it against my chest, recalled Ahmed. And he'd say, okay, blink, now breathe, inhale, exhale, now hold your breath so I can hear your heartbeat, now swallow, lick the inside of your teeth with your tongue. Unquote. When asked if uh, if it was true that at one point Becker experimented with putting a small microphone down the actor's throat, Ahmed laughingly replied, yeah, they had microphones everywhere, man, you don't even want to know. Uh, Marder joked that it could be, that that should be the selling point of the movie, we haven't really explored that enough, dot, 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 want to be inside <laughs> Ahmed's body. Inside Riz would have been a cheeky tagline, but the more we learn about how the unique subjective experience of Sound of Metal was crafted, it's clear it would have also been a dead accurate one too. Um, so if you want to go listen to the Filmmakers Toolkit podcast, just go search it up, like Filmmakers Toolkit podcast. Um, I just find this, um, I just find this whole thing fascinating as to like uh, how how. Uh, much effort put into this i i always find it fascinating with things like this you know people gas up you know stuff like cinematography um, and obviously acting as well um especially those two you know when uh, when someone talks about mad max it's always about the cinematography uh, cinematography uh, you know it's just completely just creaming over that kind of stuff right and you know it's fair <laughs> it's, it's fair to cream over it because it's hella good um uh, and you know people do that with a lot of films and I just never think about it as it pertains to sound. And the older I get, the more I think about sound, like, as a, just as a, um, more as a tool, like, um, and how, because, you know, I'm, I'm hearing my own voice right now as I speak into this microphone. I listen to music nine times out of ten throughout the day, uh, or podcasts, or I'm listening, or I'm watching a video, or I'm watching a film. Like, I'm always listening to something, right? I'm always, always listening to something. Nine times out of ten, apart from when I'm sleeping. Even when I'm sleeping, I actually throw on, like, a podcast that I just have in the background, like, just um, in, a, in a low volume, just so you can, I can have that, just some small, I don't know, whatever, vibration, so to speak, right? I'm always listening to something. Um, and I just really, I just think about that more and more as I get older, the, just how much and how consistently I use my ears like for other things uh for everything uh the only time I don't is when I'm writing that's literally the only different that's the only time I'm not using my ears but everything else I'm you know I'm talking to, I'm either talking to people uh I'm listening to music I'm listening to podcasts or I'm watching a video or film or whatever you know what I mean I'm just watching something and that all requires hearing um so I, I just find I, I'm I'm gonna watch this film at some point, and uh, I'm probably gonna try and read the script at the same time because I I will I will I want to find I want to find out like how they mani- how they wrote it, uh, how they wrote that kind of description of like you know either uh, doing sign language or just uh you know not hearing anything right what what how do you how do you write that down like 
uh, Ruben doesn't hear anything. Like, <laughs> is it that basic? Um, so yeah, I, I kind of want to read the whole script and watch the film at the same time just to see what they did with it. Um, but yeah, shout out to the shout out to that whole film because um, I just find those kind of films fascinating. Same with Whiplash and just how <clears throat> how much detail they put into you know the drumming and like how you can you know even even if you're not like trained like that, you can you can you can actually you know feel. Like the rushing, you know, in J.K. Simmons's character, like you know, goes you're rushing, or you you you're you know, speed up, well, not not quite my tempo when he goes when he when he goes when he says all that shit. Like you can actually kind of gauge it. Like when you act, he forces you, the audience, like to actually like find out if he's rushing or or if he's behind the clap. Uh, and I, I like that. I like that. I don't know, forcing you to actually tune in so so uh, kind of thing and i guess this is kind of the same thing in a different way obviously because he because the main character diff so like hearing certain things um and it's probably one of those films that probably should be in the cinema um and if it ever does get re-released in the cinema i would actually love to watch it and i personally would just be first in line for that kind of thing um just to hear that sound experience and hear heartbeats and stuff like that i really find that shit interesting um, so yeah, man, I'm down for seeing Sound of, uh, Sound of Metal, especially in the cinema. That'd be fucking amazing. But obviously for now, uh, and just in general, I, I, I do, I do, I've been mean to ask this question. Like, for all these films that have come through, um, in uh, you know, just quarantine or whatever, and the lockdown stuff, right? Are they are they actually thinking of re-releasing, quote unquote, re-releasing these to cinemas? Because I'm, I'll be. I'll be down for it. I'll be down for it. Like you know, I don't. I, don't, I wouldn't see why not. Um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that fr- how it goes on that front. But um, yeah, man. Shout out to Sound of Mill. Shout out to all. Shout out to all the people on on that front because uh, yeah, man. It's just uh, it. It looks like a real fascinating film. And uh, from a guy who is always listening to something, is always using his ears. I can. Uh, I I don't want to relate. I don't want to relate. But I want to. I want to. I want to taste at least of uh, what that kind of. Uh, uh, how would it feel to just suddenly lose your hearing in that fashion when you know you're always using your ears, uh, such as myself. hop on to our second uh, uh, film and TV segment and this is all about screenwriters yay something, on, something in my wheelhouse yippee um, so this is something I found via The Hollywood Reporter uh, it was called Despite Solitude Lockdown wasn't a creative boon for screenwriters uh, this is by Bryn Sandberg and immediately by the title I was just like well, speak for yourself because uh, I was uh, spazzing about <laughs> I've, been, I've been jamming <laughs> in the past in the past year um, I find I found I found lockdown to be a real creative boon for me to be to be completely honest with you, um, but um, you know reading into this a little bit, um, I did read a bit of it. Um, I can understand you know why people didn't have the creative boon uh, that they uh, that they felt like you know because when you when you think about it right you're if you're a writer yourself right or if you're not just imagine it right um, and most most of you understand I hope. That uh, writing is a very lonely thing. It's a very solitary uh, craft. Um, 
So, you know, with that said, you'd think a lockdown where you're forced to be by yourself for, you know, this past year mostly, uh, you think it'll be good, right? But for some people, it hasn't been. For me personally, I think it's been great. Uh, but that's just me. That's, that's partly because I'm always in my room doing something anyway. Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's why I've never really felt that deep when it comes to, you know, what have you learned during lockdown and stuff like that, um, because regardless of lockdown or not, I probably would have been, uh, well, probably would have gone to, you know, concerts and stuff like that, and, you know, been, you know, sociable in the general sense, but, uh, past that, I'd still be recording, I'd still be writing, I'd still be doing the same things I'd be doing, uh, just with more intervals of, uh, going to London and doing other stuff. Anyway, let's get into the article, because I found this mad fascinating. Uh, Ryan was the rare Hollywood vocation that never had to shut down, but A-list scribes, including Damon Lindelof and Courtney Kemp, describe a different reality. Uh, One time, Michael Green, the screenwriter of Logan and Blade Runner 2049, was road tripping when 100 miles in. He realised he'd been driving in second gear the whole time. To him, that's what it feels like to try uh, trying to write scripts during a pandemic. Quote, It's not that your engine can't do it, but you're spending a lot of energy, and it's certainly not as efficient. I have written less in the last year than I have my entire career. Can't relate. <laughs> I might just say this whole article just say can't relate, but I'm, I'm trying not to. Uh, it's a sentiment echoed by a host of other writers who, like nearly everyone else, fortunate enough to transition to remote work this past year, have had to find creative ways to maintain their pre-COVID-19 productivity. Uh, before the pandemic, Hollywood scribes would have killed to have the world stop for a time. Finally, a chance to write that spec. But few were emerging with a fistful of scripts. Quote, We've all dreamed of having six months to work on whatever we want, says Green, but I don't know anyone who wrote, wrote the spec they were dying to, unquote. Instead, several screenwriters say they've struggled to get into the right headspace. Quote, when lockdown first started, everything stopped in me creatively, says Russian Doll co-writer Leslie Headland, who is uh, penning a new Star Wars series for Disney+. Plus. Uh, despite co- converting a closet on the second floor of her Brooklyn apartment into an office to give herself a dedicated workspace, she couldn't find a cure for a writer's block until she, until a friend recommended Cal Newport's book, Deep Work, and she learned about the Pomodoro technique a method in which you write in 25-minute increments, punctured by five-minute breaks, it reinvigorated her writing. I've tried that before, not a fan. Not a fan of Pomodoro. Not a fan. I feel like uh, 25 minutes is too le- too little for me. I need like an hour. That's just me. Um... The practice offered her structure uh, something in short supply lately and is the closest uh, she's gone to mimicking her pre-quarantine schedule uh, where she'd often have pockets of time to write between her directing and producing duties. Now she's settled into a rhythm. She's found more. Uh, she's found she's more adventurous with her writing, especially since she's not barreling towards a production date. Quote, it still feels like we're in a phase where we're not exactly sure what the new normal is. So I'm willing to pitch something that's left a centre and let my imagination flow as opposed to trying to hedge it in order to make a deadline, she says. Uh, it ceases to be about how can I make something happen and it's more like what could happen, unquote. Excuse me. Uh, Watchman creator Damon Lindelof has had a similar experience coming off the success of his HBO show. Uh, he made the constant decision not to showrun. Quote, I wanted to take a step back and be a fairy godfather, flapping my wings at varying altitudes depending on how much I was needed, he says. Uh, yeah, unquote. So the recent Emmy winner spent the quarantine developing new top secret projects with a, pro- a set of collaborators he's barely met in person. Uh, of course, Lindelof would much rather be out uh, 
be hashing out ideas in a physical writer's room than extended uh, Zooms and FaceTime calls. Quote, this process is not ideal. And I do agree with that. I, 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 I do agree with that. Like, that side of it is a bit dead. Uh, collaborating with other people is a little bit dead. But apart from that, like, it's still still something. I guess I'm. I guess I'm trying to be. I think of this very optimistically. Um, you know, it's 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 not great, but it's not bad either. You know, what I mean, you're still there. You still have your key. Uh, you still have your laptop in front of you. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm not up there in the sky. Uh, but like Headland, he's found a silver line. Uh, silver lining. For those in development stage, deadlines have grown more nebulous as studios wrestle wrestle with a production backlog. As Lindelof puts it, if shows and films were uh, planes on a runway, there's already a slew of them full of passengers ready to take off, uh, so he can get in line and take his time building his quote. Uh, I do find I do feel the benefit of going much deeper and doing more world building and being free to go down roads so you might have to turn around and walk back to where you came from again. Unquote. He says, uh, still, if the pandemic has clarif- uh, clarified anything for him, is that he's a highly social animal who writes best in collaboration with others. Quote, if I find myself in a sort of uh, real Will Fort last man on earth situation, is it Fort or Forte? I don't know. Anyway, uh, there will be no writing, unquote. Uh, among many scribes who say they found it impossible to write in solitude is Vida creator Tanya Saracho. Uh, quote, I spent six months creatively frozen in LA and needed to change the hours breathing. Uh, quote, says the showrunner who has development deal with UCP. So in the fall, Sriracha bought a one-way ticket to the UK where she spent five months bouncing around to different Airbnbs in London, uh, right in the coffee shops and her friend's recording studio. She returned to the States in January with a pilot script about a Mexican girl who goes to London and falls in love with a British folk musician, says Sriracha. Quote, turns out I just need to leave the continent. Unquote. Not everyone has suffered from a lack of inspiration during quarantine. It's actually been a rich creative time, uh, says Little Fires Everywhere's uh, Liz Tiglar. Tiglar? Yeah, Tiglar. Like that name. Uh, who adds that uh, she's appreciated the opportunity to take a step back and reevaluate her development state. Her outlook may, might have something to do with the fact that she spent too, uh, much, much of the pandemic in a minivan with her publicist wife and five year old son driving across the country. Uh, east to west three times and north south twice. Quote the fuck what? Hold up, Jesus Christ! Like imagine that you're just constantly just going back and forth, back and forth. Jesus, that's crazy. As a writer, so much of your life uh, infuses your work, so just broadening our world has helped me creatively so much. He says that doesn't mean it's always been easy to find the time or the place to churn out scripts in order to finish. She'd uh, finish a movie she'd be working on. She holed up in her mother-in-law's beach condo for two weeks while in Florida. Uh, on one of those cross-country trips. Uh, quote, I live like a 20-year-old boy eating turkey burgers and not doing laundry and wearing the same clothes and just rioting, she says. Oh, I love them vibes. Great vibes. I miss those vibes. Uh, she says, noticing, noting that the pandemic has completely upended her usual writing routine. Quote, to really dive in now, you have to kind of let go of your life and go somewhere where you, where you won't be distracted. And I feel like I didn't have, uh, didn't used to have to do that, unquote. Writers with young kids. Now, that's what I do not. Comp- <laughs> I do not relate at all. Uh, but then again, I have to have a dog that annoys me every few hours. Anyway, uh, writers with young kids at home say that juggling the demands of parenting with the remote remote work has uh, been the hardest part. Power creator Courtney Kemp, for instance, uh, tries to do most of her writing on the weeks when she doesn't have custody of her daughter, so that she can be fully devoted to her uh, when she's around. Green and his wife Amber no- Noizumi. Uh, who are making the Netflix animated series Blue Eye Samurai, uh, Samari, sorry, together, 
It looked like samurai for a second. Uh, takes turns sleeping. Uh, takes turns stepping away from their writing to make their two preteens lunch. Unquote. Uh, quote. Sorry. A uh, pitch meeting interrupted by a kid a year ago would have led uh, to the end of a sc- end of screen use for life. And now not a meeting goes by where someone doesn't take a moment to provide a snack uh, for answer a question or answer a question for or just checking on a kid. He says. Kids are regularly making appearances on Zoom rooms, in the virtual iteration of writers' rooms. They've come to love and others hate. Shows that we're in the middle of their season when COVID hit, at least at a benefit of writers already knowing one another, had an established workflow, such as the case with The Handmaid's Tale, which stopped their physical writers' room on a Friday and started a Zoom room on a Monday. Quote, it went smoothly, but in some ways we were a special case, said showrunner Bruce Miller. Uh, it'd be hard to start that cold. Unquote. Most writers who've had uh, to start uh, new rooms during this time says it's been draining. Quote, a couple hours in, I'm exhausted, said Headland. When you're in a physical room, you're feeding off people's energy. Kemp, who's had a uh, handful of rooms going, uh, going during the pandemic, says that while she's appreciated the ability to jump back and forth with just a few clicks, she the positives end there. Quote, a Zoom room is not a substitute for a writer's room, she says. <clears throat> quote, uh, you, ju- you just don't get the same chemistry, it's harder to pay attention, I found myself pulling stories sometimes out of people, uh, because they were so worn out, I know that there will be people who will feel like, oh, this is a better way to do it, it's not, <clears throat> unquote, and I don't think it is, right, I- I'm-, I'm saying all this is, you know, as uh, more optimistically than these lot, but, um, it isn't, it, it obviously isn't, like, um, physical writing rooms are just just logically much better, but um, then again, uh, you know, sometimes you just, sometimes you're just working with people that are far away. So you know, it, sometimes it is what it is. It's uh, it's the, it's the, it's about the compromise. It's not about optimization here. That's kind of how I see it. I'm not thinking about it as like, uh, oh, this is this this is far from optimal. Like, just get past that. Of course, it's not optimal, but you know, you have to sort it out somehow and push through. So that's just how I think about it anyway. Uh, one day at times, Gloria Calderon Kellett, who uh, started up a Zoom room <coughs> for a new anima- Amazon show of hers and his animation uh, during the quarantine, won't argue it's uh, not more. Won't argue it's not more tiring. It's a weird way of saying that sentence. Quote: Energy is definitely zapped. She says. Uh, unquote. But at the same time, she acknowledges some advantages. Uh, she is a New York-based writer on her staff for the first time. She's admittedly blown away by apps like Miro, an online whiteboard. Huh, I was actually gonna uh, actually have that on my. Uh, I, was actually, I was actually thinking of using that kind of uh, that kind of platform. Uh, interesting. Uh, quote: The story breaking has gone much more fluidly than I thought. Uh, when it comes to Zoom pitches, she's all in. Selling a movie to HBO Max during quarantine without having to drive around LA was game changing. Quote: If I'm going wide with a movie, I want to just uh, I want to do just it on Zoom. I want to do just it on Zoom. That's a weird way of saying something, but okay. Uh, excuse me. Uh, how writers' rooms will forever be changed uh, is up for debate. For well-oiled machi- machines like Hermes Tale, a Zoom room will likely be, continue to be a part of the process. In fact, Miller is toying with the idea of having three days in the office and two at home, uh, with some longer stretches of remote work built from time to time. Built in from time to time. But not everyone is as thrilled about the prospect of a, of a new Zoom normal, says Lindelof, quote, it terrifies me that we're... That uh, we may be moving in a direction where I don't get to sit in a room with other people, eat junk food, and talk about what was on TV last night for two hours before we actually work. Unquote. Oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only person that does that before I actually do some shit. 
uh, uh, actual work. But um, I don't know. I feel like it's. I feel like it's going to be half and half, right? And I think this is the thing we need to. I I feel like a lot of people need to get in their heads, right? Um, we're we're not going to be COVID zero. And by when I mean COVID zero, I I, I mean we are not going to be at a point where we're just like. Uh, there's going to be no cases, no COVID, COVID's eradicated. Like, I don't think it will take a long time for COVID to be fully, fully eradicated, right? I, I genuinely think that. So, um, I think it will be more about half and half, right? Um, similar to how uh, the showrunner of uh, Hermes Tale was talking about it. I think it'd be something like that. Um, I still think it could be physical, I still think physical, um, like, you know, just virus rooms or just any... You could think about this in any case, right? Um, whether it be creatively or whatever, right? Um, I still think most of the stuff can go back to physical. Uh, maybe distanced, maybe physically distanced, maybe just, like, you know, just sp- spreading out space and uh, having people, you know, just not as close to each other, you know, I mean, in general, then, you know, that's a worthy compromise. But I still think uh, physical rooms can still happen, um and uh you know maybe 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 half and half it but um even if you don't want half and half it even if you just want to have it fully physical like Lindelof clearly wants uh I think that's still possible I think that can still happen um just have to have a few extra measures just thrown in there and I I, I think that's completely fine um in terms of you know what quote-unquote the new normal is going to be um but you know I I I still think uh this whole you know, I, I think the kid side of it is obviously, yeah, that that I can see, I can see that, you know, seriously hindering someone's work, like just for logical reasons. Um, but if you if you if you're like me and you're just a you're just a dude, <laughs> then uh, you know, I don't I don't really think it will it should hinder you know me at all. But then again, this is more about group work, um, and more about writers' rooms. Uh, uh that's what the article's leaning towards more. Um, but. I just feel like in a even in like something like a a Zoom room, uh, that people call it. Um, I feel like there are better places like Miro. I think that's a great platform for uh, you know collaboration and stuff like that. Asana as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't think Zoom is the should be is like the perfect place for that kind of thing. Um, I think there are better platforms uh, that they should look up. But apart from that, just find your own, bruv. Like if you're writing on your own, I I, I don't find it. I I I don't f- I I can't see it I can't see it but maybe I'm just an optimist or maybe I'm just in a perfect situation which the fuck I'm not trust me on that but <laughs> uh you can, you can, uh, I don't know if I don't know if is that that's how it's coming about <laughs> I don't know if how, that's how it's coming out I'm not in a perfect situation okay I'm just I'm just choosing to look at it optimistically but hey man it'll come back physical rooms will come back I feel like that'll be if they really want to they'll make measures for it I think that's fact and now we finish up on our last topic uh, last segment which is music and this is all about uh, these quote unquote powerful performances at the award show uh, so this is kind of um in response to Lil Baby's performance on the Sixth Bird uh, uh, Grammys, and uh, you know, if you've seen it, um, I, uh, I th- th- there's a lot of performative 
shit on there. Uh, just just spattered about. Um, and I think like this article really just encapsulates. As soon as I saw it, as soon as I saw the title, I was like, "Yes, throw this in right now." Um, so it's a quick read. This is uh, by Level Magazine uh, via Medium. Uh, this is by uh, what had you say that name? Uh, Tahaka, Tahaka, yeah, Tahaka Love. Um, and it's called "It's Time to Abolish Quote Unquote Powerful Performances at War Chest." <coughs> Uh, James, a James Baldwin quote plays: Two white male police officers confront and question a black man sleeping in the car, in his car, quickly spit, pinning him to the ground. The man, played by Kendrick, actor Kendrick Sampson, breaks free, flees, and is shot down. This recreation of June 2020's qu- uh, 2020 killing of Rayshard Brooks uh, by Atlanta police was all a setup for Lil Baby's performance of his song *The Bigger Picture* at Sunday night's Grammys. Uh, at Sunday night's Grammys, but it wasn't the end of the theatrics. What followed was a group of protesters clashing with law enforcement in riot gear, acrobatic dancing, cameos by Killer Mike and activist Tamika Mallory, flares, a fake Molotov cocktail, and pyrotechnics galore. The routine, which sought to capture and reflect the unrest of the Black Lives Matter generation, played like a protest-era performance starter kit. But the 26-year-old rapper's heavy-handed set is only the latest in a string of similar big-budget performances that border on exploitation, using a mainstream stage to replay what we've all seen on the news uh, reports about how police impacts black life. This performance of protest is sold as a political as political solidarity, but increasingly seems to be sold period. Uh, oh, sold period. There you go. A means of generating profits and clout for artists, personalities, or corporations while doing. Uh, little for those uh, mostly direct, most directly affected by victims of police brutality. Uh, while folks like Mallory McKesson and Sean King can raise awareness uh, for issues like anti-black racism and violent policing, they rarely do so in service to those uh, uh, to those most impacted by such ills, but rather to their own social ascendancy. Ooh-hoo! Oh yes, um, yeah, that's um, that's a bar. Uh, if you've if you've ever seen that kind of uh th- those those kind of people doing their thing, it's uh it's very it's very about that. Anyway, continuing on, uh, Kendrick Lamar may have not been the first to bring uh, the black political rap performance into white spaces, but he certainly exposed a profitable side of social justice aesthetics. In 2016, the Grammy stage was home to one of, the, one of his most stirring performances to date, in which he dressed as the leader of a chain gang while performing political uh, singles "Black at the Berry" and "All Right." Later that year, uh, he and Beyonce invoked Martin Luther King Jr. at the BET Awards as they splashed in shallow pools while singing and spitting their collaboration freedom. Others channeled the same energy. Pharrell's Hands Up Don't Shoot demonstration at the tw- Grammys in 2015. Big Crit spoken word while curiously donning a cop's uniform at the BET Hip Hop Awards in 2016. And last summer's update of uh, Public Enemy's classic Fight the Power at the BET Awards featuring Nas, Black Four, Raps, DJ, He, and YG. During the latter ceremony, Anderson Pack and J Rock performed "Lockdown" while performing, uh, while showing off a black power fist molded from the names of dead black people. The history of co-opting social justice aesthetics in performance isn't new, but it's clearly reaching its tipping point. Just consider rappers with sordid histories like the Baby, who, along with Roddy Rich, was praised for a performance of "Rockstar" at last year's BET Awards that depicted George Floyd's heartbreaking final moments. A demonstration followed where very intimidating when men wore t-shirts bearing the names of murdered black people. Sound familiar? These showings came at a time where the violent realities of policing in black neighbourhoods were undeniable in pop culture. Artists, especially black artists, 
were called upon uh, were called on to speak the uh, speak to the social ills of a bloody era. The difference between Kendrick Mar- uh, Kendrick's Pippa Butterfly era artistry and more recent performances come down to both execution and intended audience. While some in- imagery is similar, black people, primarily men, being violated in order to elicit rage and anger, uh, rap as a po- poetic backbone, the appeal is different. With Lamar, there isn't an appeal to a large movement or specific person. Though often filtered through the narrow lens of black masculinity, his commentary is about approaching larger ideas like incarceration without succumbing to listing names or piggybacking on hashtags. The same can't be said for most of the aforementioned protesters by performances. The growing concern among those uh, those of us living the struggle that, uh, is that celebrity activism threatens to co-op the trauma of working class and poor black communities as an artistic endeavour intended to pacify the masses. There's a reason black people in Ferguson caused an uproar when D. Ray Rickesson, uh, who made a name for himself using social media to explain and showcase black death, ended up standing next to Beyonce and having chats with Oprah. It conveys a set of classes' priorities, and when those activists have a large platform, uh, have a platform as large as the Grammys, the ramifications of their public personas begin to unravel. After seeing Tamika Mallory on screen during uh, Lil Baby's recent performance, explaining all the uh, all the ills of blackness in America, Samira, Samiria, Samiria Rice, yeah, uh, an activist and mother to late Tamir Rice, uh, was fed up with the performative struggle. Quote. We never hired them to be representatives in the fight for justice for our dead loved ones murdered by police, uh, she said in a statement released Tuesday evening, specifically calling out Mallory, McKesson and other members of the Black Lives Matter Global Network. Quote, uh, we don't want or need your parading in the streets, uh, accumulating donations, platforms, movie deals, etc. off the death of our loved ones while the families and communities are left clueless and broken. Don't say our loved ones' names, period. Unquote. You can't say she didn't have a point. While folks like Sean King can raise awareness for issues like anti-black racism and violent policing, they rarely do uh, so in service to those impacted by such ills, but rather to their own social ascendancy. They've done away with the desire to provide material needs to the poor and working class, instead seek internet popularity and access to famous people. It's about time we do away with them too. Uh, Protest hinges on disruption. That mean, uh, that's the means by which an end is realised. While public displays like Lil Baby's grand performance have made plain, is that the aesthetic of protest have, has become an effective tactic to placate guilty white viewers while doing very little to support the struggle it claims to represent. Placating, play-acting, sorry, death, uh, anger and rebellion on a mass consumption stage does, doesn't disrupt or change anything. It just lines the pockets of our oppressors. And this is a superb article, and it's a superb conversation to have, and a very timely one to have um, at this point, because um, I I I I'm one of those people, right? That actually, um, uh, that whenever the anniversary of the Pimp Butterfly comes around, I just I just drop the I just drop the Grammy performance that um, uh, that Love was talking about. Uh, I love that performance. This is one of my I, I think it's the best um, one of the best. Uh, uh, televised music performances ever like, I, I think it's i think it's fucking amazing right um but contrasted with stuff like little baby stuff like go just if you you don't even have to see the whole little baby grand performance right just see the last like 20 seconds it's it's a really really like hollywood it's really grandstand like uh you know he jumps and the camera work is just so wow it's like a so little baby like goes through some like police line <laughs> 
jumps up on a car, he's spitting the he's spitting the hook a couple of times, and then Killer Mike and Tamika Mallory are in front of him, like on the on the ground. Uh, you know, they're just like looking, you know, looking on, like you know, firm in it. And then the camera goes to little baby again, and there's like fireworks behind him, and it's like, like what, what what's the message there? Like what what are you trying to say there? You know what I mean? Like it's so it's it's super jarring. It is super super jarring. I didn't even know about the Ken- Kendrick Sampson bit. That's just that's just distasteful. Um, I yeah, and no, I don't I just I just don't really. I'm not here for this. Like um, uh, stuff like uh, a good example is like Dave's uh, black performance in the Brill Awards. Like that shit, outstanding, out fucking standing. Uh, you know that 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 kind of stuff is worthy of these kind of 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 just like a uh, praise right but reenacting shit in this way is so oh it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth like there's no need for it there is really no need for it to some people don't even i mean i, I choose not to even i i haven't looked at the george floyd video like fully i haven't watched all eight minutes of it i don't need to i don't need to right and, uh, you know, a lot of the videos I haven't seen fully. Most of them I haven't seen fully, of the, of the, you know, for killings or whatever. I haven't seen them. I don't need to. <laughs> I don't need video evidence. <laughs> I really don't need video evidence, right? Um, and to have these things reenacted and just regurgitated is just... It's just sick. It's, it's just... Um, it's just sick. And, not, not even, and I'm not even thinking about right now, right? Uh, and I'll leave it on this. Think about the um, think about the uh, corporations above these eyes, right? Just just think about that. Do, uh, do you ever ask yourself like why these kind why these films are coming through, and why even little baby of all people are dropping uh, uh, dropping these kind of songs, right? Do you wonder why it's always because of this one thing? It's because there's an audience for it. When there's an audience for it, people, uh, the 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 people above, the suits above, allow it, and that's all it is. Um, So you know, I'm leaving that on a very, uh, very uh, uh, broad note. But just think about that. Just just think about that. And uh, you know, go see the performance if you want to. And uh, I trust you. Trust me, it's, it's jarring. Um, but yeah, we need to we need to really just kill off these performances and uh, the performativeness of it. It's just a uh, it's a bit too much. It's a bit too much. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, it's been what's good. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. Thanks to your breakers for a bit to use this song. Shout out to Nappy Hire for the use of interlude music, Charismatic. Find his site via the full show notes as well. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I shall always, always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.